0: This is Golf Talk Canada, Canada's only national golf talk radio and TV program. Presented by TaylorMade and the TP5 and 5X. Try it. What's the best that can happen? Learn more at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Zacchino, Bob Weeks, and Adam Scully. Hi, good morning, golf fans. Welcome
1: inside another edition of Golf Talk Canada. The whole gang is back together on this lovely Monday at the GTA. We got Adam Scully, we got Bob Weeks, we got Mark Zacchino. Busy show for you this morning. But before we get to it, Bob, let's start with you. Did you hit the links over the weekend?
2: Uh, No, I did not. I was uh, up in cottage country uh, chilling for for a few days. Okay. Mark, I know you uh, you posted on social media, we, we
1: had some, some speed training, maybe not speed training, but we got the speed up again, yeah. How, uh, how's the golf, how's the body yeah, well, feeling, most importantly?
3: Uh, well, that's kind of been the thing, right, it's been, uh, I'm wondering if I could get back to swinging kind of full at it, I, sh- I should be, <laughs> but uh, make a long story short, um, feeling really good physically, which is great. And got the speed up. When I went to the golf course, we're not swinging like that. We're trying to keep it in the ballpark. Uh, Played two nines. uh, Played some golf. Played Goodwood on Thursday, which is a fun spot. Uh, Great great track. And uh, slapped it around for even. Came out of the gates really sloppy. Couldn't find the face. uh, But played the back nine in three under par. And got it back to even. So... Starting to get back. It's going to take some time, but we're we're getting there. Wow,
1: oh, I I, uh, I can't imagine Sweet slapping under. it around for an even par. But hey, you know, good for you there. That's uh, that's <laughs> exceptional stuff. Uh, I, I, as you guys know, I've been going through a a grip change with uh, with Shaheen uh, online, and uh, we saw some uh, some interesting progress throughout the weekend. Some uh, some blocks, some hooks.
2: But a lot of straight shots, so I think we're <laughs> we're starting
1: to make progression here, so would
2: you, slowly but surely. But would you uh, say you have had a block party? Okay. <laughs>
1: well, uh, more on that a, on a future edition of Golf Talk Canada. But no, it's uh, it, it's <laughs> going to be out.
3: Yeah,
1: well done, well done. <laughs> but no, it's uh, it was good to get out there a couple times uh, throughout the weekend here, as the summer is officially here, and it seemed like. The air quality was a little better. It wasn't quite as as humid as uh, as um, as humid out there for sure. I was at a show on Thursday evening as well and and uh, it seemed like everything was uh, getting better air quality wise, which uh, is certainly awesome. But uh, as it is now in June or July, I should say, it's a very busy time in the world of golf and a very busy show for us. Not often we say we're going to have some Guinness World Record holders join the show today, but here we are. We'll have more on that in about 25 minutes time. Also, Joseph McLucky from JPSM Golf is going to join the show about some very exciting new products. But before we get to that let's hit it with some news
0: and some headlines news and headlines are brought to you by sandbagger hard seltzer sandbagger everybody knows one.
1: Well, we'll get to the U.S. Women's Open here momentarily. But first news that obviously shook the golf world was the merger news that went down while we were live on radio, live on television at the RBC Canadian Open. And shortly after that, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monaghan announced his leave from the tour due to health-related reasons. But, Bob, he has now announced that he'll be back on July 17th this is great news to see Jay Monahan back and feeling much better.
2: Yeah, he did he did admit in the letter that he sent out that was widely distributed that the pressures of the job essentially had caused to his d- decline in health. We still don't really know what the issue was and that's fine. We don't really need to know perhaps as long as it's not uh, obviously that severe, but I'm sure uh, I'm sure having a month off now is good. He's also got a busy week cuz the US uh, um, government hearings are this week on Tuesday, I believe, tomorrow maybe. So there's a few things that he's got to get going and, and at least probably be aware of. I think those are going to be handled by some other people at the PGA Tour, uh, some very capable people, Tyler Dennis being one. So we'll see how uh, all that plays out in the next little bit. But it's not like he's coming back to do um, to, um, <laughs> an easy job anymore. Like This is still, uh, still quite a topic that he's going to have to deal with and be the leader of it, I guess, from the PGA Tour side. And Mark, for you,
1: you've been on the ground a lot since this news came down uh, on, for PGA Tour radio. You're actually on your way to Scotland later today, which we'll get to shortly. Uh, you're uh, all on, on your way overseas here uh, later today. But what kind of buzz, if any, have you heard while you've been on the ground since the merger news came down?
3: I, you know, I'm. I think you know once the Canadian Open was put behind us, and obviously we all know how that went down the first few days until until the actual tournament itself started. The buzz has been more or less questions, uh, not answers, uh, and really, the buzz being guys pretending they know what's going on. like I mean, anybody right now reporting like they know what's going to happen is lying. There's literally four people, and that might be four too many, that that really have a, a conception of what the PGA Tour might look like next year, and then possibly even even more drastic the following year, in 2025. Uh, there are people can speculate, and people might have conversations at high levels and be able to speculate in a little bit more detail or some degree of accuracy compared to others. But at the very best, it's still speculation at this point. And I, and I think we're all just left wondering what this is all going to look like. And that's really the buzz on the ground. People don't know what's going on. I mean, we it's weird. You've got people coming. I you know Bob's had some people come up to him. And I know uh, some players have come up to uh, some of the old players that we work with, like Graham Dillette, Andre Gonzalez, and Dennis Paulson, and Mark Carnival, and all these guys that are still, you know, Tour members that, that remain in the game to some capacity and they got players coming up to them going, do you guys know what's going on? Nobody knows what's going on. It, it is unbelievable. It's going to be interesting to see. And Randall Stevenson, who was uh, the ex at executive who sat on the PGA Tour board, just resigned yesterday. I believe it was yesterday in the last couple of days. Citing that he just uh, had a moral issue and concerns over the Saudi Arabia relationship and for him he had to walk away. So the fallout continues, guys. It's going to be an interesting six months ahead of us, my guess.
1: It's been a fascinating time in the golf world since Liv really launched last June and it'll continue to be fascinating as we move forward. So Jay Monahan, the commissioner, will be back with the PGA Tour on July 17th. But Jay Monahan was also a winner this week at the U.S. Women's Open. Yes, Allison Corpuz's caddy, also named Jay Monahan, that was a little confusing on the broadcast for sure, but she wins the U.S. Women's Open at beautiful, the iconic Pebble Beach, a three shot victory, and the composer she showed throughout the final round was awesome to say the least before we discuss her victory let's hear from the u.s women's open champion
4: my mind's racing i mean like i said yesterday like this this is really a dream come true and
1: it was something i dreamed of but at the same time kind of just never really expected it to happen so um just trying to take it in and enjoy the moment and she enjoyed the moment in a big way. That, it was awesome to see her come down the stretch. I, when I saw her pull driver on the 18th hole with a three-shot lead, my eyes were about were saucers thinking, well, maybe, maybe <laughs> a hybrid might be a little safer, but she boy, oh, boy, she played that hole very well. She played the entire week very well. A mark, big picture. How awesome was it to see Pebble Beach host the U.S. Women's Open?
3: Like I said this last week, to me guys, uh, I loved my favorite, uh, U.S. women's open is, uh, several years back where they went to Pinehurst number two and were able to kind of combine the men's and the women's in, in a golf fortnight, so to speak, which is appropriate Wimbledon talk. Cause I know that's going to come up later in the show, Adam. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I do think like the men's game, just like the men's game, that these championships mean more when we bring them to these types of venues, right? And, When, you know, when you, when you go to a Chambers Bay or for that matter, LA Country Club this year, there was something missing, right? Guys, we were kind of talking about it for the entire week. When the, when the leader stands up on the last hole and 83 yards to squeeze in a drive, we were all scratching our head a little. We like the golf course. It's not that it's a bad golf course or anything. It's just, it means more when you're at Pebble, when you're at Shinnecock, when you're at Oakmont and the same rings true to the U.S. Women's Open and, and what a wonderful round of golf. And really, for me, Adam, it was her putter that was the real difference on Sunday. I mean, wow, some clutch putting. And isn't that, I guess we can say that about any major champion on a Sunday that often they make clutch putts. But this is, this is no different.
1: Yeah, certainly. And, you know, from time to time, obviously, the Poana on greens like Pebble Beach, it can, can be a little dodgy at, at times for sure in terms of pure putting. Bob, what impressed you the most about Allison Corpus?
2: Uh, well, like Mark said, her putter, I mean, she had 10 one-putts on Sunday. That's pretty good when you're playing the final round of a major championship. And they weren't all like just little gimmies. There were some good lengthy putts that she hold out. And just the that she, composure that she had, as you mentioned, Adam, about, at the top, she didn't look out of place. She didn't look nervous. Um, she's joins pretty select company. Only Annika Sorenstam and um, Laura Davies have won, made their first win on the LPGA Tour, a major. So I think that's pretty impressive. I think it was very symbolic that uh, as a person from Hawaii, she comes in, gets her first win, just as the other great player from Hawaii, Michelle Wee, is kind of going out and leaving it. So there was a lot of really neat things to like about it. But I thought one of the coolest things um, was something that John Woods said, the caddy, used to caddy a lot on the PJ Tour, now as an announcer. He said, you know, it's watching the women play, I feel like this is how Pebble Beach is supposed to be played. It's not, you know, when you have guys who are hitting mm-hmm. at 350 and 360." But you saw some of the hazards come more into play. You saw some of the uh, shot selections. Um, you know, do I go for it or not on the last hole? Um, so there was that tree in the 18th fairway played a role in uh, in a lot of shots. So uh, I love the fact that they were at a famous course. And, I mean, the, the ro- rotations they've got coming up includes, you know, Riviera, Inverness, Oakmont, Pinehurst. So um, this is going to be something that, uh, that's going to continue for the uh, women's game and the U.S. Women's Open. It certainly is. Mark, go ahead.
3: Should we... Should we start the the what's wrong with Rose Zhang conversation? Like the it's her third professional start. She was the betting favorite at one point and she finished tied for ninth. Are we gonna start the panic button on this young lady yet?
1: Oh my oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean well watching watching the composure she has, watching her interviews afterwards, she's twenty going on. 40. I mean, just how mature she is, that how level-headed she is. And yeah, finishing T9, uh, playing in that star-studded group for the first two rounds with Lydia Ko. And of course, Canadian Brooke Henderson. So Brooke Henderson finishes in 12th. And this is her 13th straight major, finishing in the top 25, which that alone is remarkable to say the least in terms of consistency in terms of everything involved Bob, what were your major takeaways from brooke
2: henderson this past week um you know it was a tale of two two clubs really at the first start of the uh, start of the week she had a little trouble with the driver and the putter was hot first round she only needed 25 putts but then her putting kind of went back to normal on um she had i think over 30 on two rounds and 29 on the other round so you know, her putter was a little bit troublesome, but I thought maybe it's a positive sign for her. Um, her iron play got better as the week went on. That's the one club we've sort of been looking at in terms of greens and reg. So overall, overall, it's I think it's a positive thing. I think she would have liked to be in, in contention a little more like she was after the first round. But um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think you can walk away too uh, too upset when you finish in the top 12.
1: Mark, for you, are you over par or under par from what you saw from Brooke mm. looking ahead now for the two remaining majors on the calendar? And of course, the Women's Open, which is a major to us here in Canada, too.
3: I'm going to go under par, but only because you didn't give me even par. <laughs> if that makes Why any sense to you guys, because I think, well, I think we were a little, I'm not going to judge the putting. Because I mean, it is so hard to putt out at Pebble Beach, and she finished twelfth. And let's just park that. Uh, I maybe we we're a little premature to say that the irons are right back to where they were at the very start of the year or the end of last year. I, I was uh, her strokes gain approach was not good this week overall. Uh, in fact, those are the only two categories I believe she was negative in, in strokes gain categories with strokes gain approach and strokes, strokes gain putting. And again, not, let's park the putting side of this because you have to have so much knowledge on those types of putting surfaces and that. I mean, there's, there's a whole can of worms, but strokes gain approach, you know, that was supposed to be her wheelhouse this week on those tiny greens. That's where she was going to excel and it didn't happen. Uh, although she still finished 12th. So, I'm going to take that 12th place finish and call it under par. But if you gave me even, I'd take even and run.
1: Okay, so I I like that. Okay, and for Brooke Henderson, she was, according to the USGA website, 32nd strokes gained off the tee, 20th in strokes gain approach, 9th in strokes gained short game. So, overall, 50 second strokes gained putting. So, all in all, for Brooke Henderson, a very solid week. And like I said, her consistency is still through the roof. So good for Brooke Henderson. Looking forward to seeing her next in action. Now, before we sign off and pivot to the John Deere Classic, a couple of iconic legends, I guess you could say, for sure, of the game. Really, I not for sure, Michelle Wee West has called it quits. Annika Stormstam, it appears that she is heading that way um, as well and they played together through the first two rounds at the U.S. Women's Open and Bob both of these players have had such a huge impact on the women's game and the overall game of golf in totally different ways what did you see from Annika Stormstam and Michelle Wee West throughout this week and reflecting on their career
2: well, I think you can throw out their, their scorecards because that's not really what was important about what was going on here. And and both of them did say that they practiced quite a bit to get in here. Don't forget that Annika Soreston was the U.S. Senior Women's Open champ. So that's how she got into this tournament to begin with. So, But I think they, they all know that they are on the edge of being a sort of a ceremonial player in this field. I don't think they ever expected that they would contend. But I think it's great, and I think it's great for people to see them. And I think it's great as we start on this a journey of playing on these great courses, that you have some of these kind of players who have made a name and, and have uh, really elevated the women's game in a lot of ways. I always think Michelle Wee West was maybe a little bit, I always feel her career was a little underwhelming. You know, I thought she could have been a little bit better overall, but she won the Canadian Open, she won the U.S. Open, and a couple others, but, but you know, she was sort of a, a bit of a game in the early days when she was playing uh, in men's tournaments, Canadian tour events, things like that. You have five LPGA
1: Tour wins for Michelle Wee West in her career. Mark, for you, when you look back at both of their careers, what stands out to you?
3: Uh, just what America achieved and how, how underwhelming. I know don't, I don't, I'm trying to figure out what the right terminology is, but I've said this time and time again about Michelle Wee. I, think for, I feel bad for Michelle Wee. For as, as well as Tiger Woods' career was handled and as well as he was prepared, dominating at every level, junior, amateur, collegiate, by the time he got to the PGA Tour, he was prepared to crush everything in his path. Michelle Wee was a complete opposite. I think she was, I don't know if there was a worse professionally handled career in golf than Michelle Wee. You took a 14-year-old girl and you threw her to the wolves and you made her play against men and you created an environment where just making it to a Saturday morning and getting a tea time was a huge success. And by the time she got to the LPGA Tour, she was bred to just try to make it to the week instead of bred like tiger in terms of just crushing your competition. Winning breeds winning. And the golf ball doesn't know who you're playing against or what golf course you're playing. So when you set the bar as low as let's just try to get it to Saturday, I mean, I really feel bad for Michelle. I've, again, I think it's the most poorly handled professional golf career of a potential phenom we have ever seen, male or female.
1: The one thing we do know is she'll always have that u.s women's <laughs> open title back at pinehurst and and uh, some great images and memories from that and bringing it back to allison corpus she was five years old in honolulu when michelle Wee at the time pl- uh, first played at the sony open in 2004 later attended the same high school and michelle Wee west leaves the game competitively on the same week that allison corpus wins her first lpga tour event and of course The U.S. Women's Open and a cool $2 million check. That is awesome. On the other side, we're going to recap the John Deere Classic where Sepp Straka came out of nowhere, flirted with 59, went on to win. This
0: is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC was presented by TaylorMade and the TP5 and 5X. Try it. What's the best that can happen? This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Caddy Time, the Uber-like app that allows golfers across Canada to find affordable, qualified caddies to any round. Visit CaddyTime.com. Download the app or talk to your PGA professional today. Welcome back inside Golf Talk Canada. Scully Weeks Zucchino. Switching gears now
1: to the John Deere Classic. Sepp Straka, a scintillating Sunday 62 to go on and win for the second time in his PGA Tour career. Before we discuss what a wild round, what a wild week it was for Straka, let's hear from the latest winner on the PGA Tour.
5: It's it's, uh, pretty awesome. Uh, Like you said, I didn't think I'd be sitting here on on Thursday uh, after the round and uh, just found some magic and then started hitting the ball really good, which I did on Thursday too, but I really started making some putts. And I think that's, that's the key out here. Uh, You got to get the Potter hot and thankfully it stayed hot.
1: He mentioned, didn't think he would be there after Thursday's round where he shot 73. He was tied for 133rd after round one. And now he's a winner again on the PGA tour. Now boys, none of us had Sepp Straka on our TSN edge teams this past week. Uh, you guys both had Ludwig Aberg who had a good Sunday. Mark, I, I have to commend you on your Lucas Glover play because he had another really, really mm-hmm. good week so so well done. And shocking, I didn't pick the winner again. It's been about a minute and a half since I picked the winner <laughs> on T S N Edge. But overall, Mark I'll start with you, Sepp Straka. the way the way he really just went on a birdie barrage to come out of nowhere and to to shoot 62 with a double bogey on your last hole like come on that that's exceptional what'd you make of of sep straka's performance
3: so i was thinking about this guys and i gotta tell you this is not a shot against Sep, but it's the reality i have now seen two of the worst golf shots i have ever seen from a professional golfer now come from sep straka let's go back almost a year ago august fedex uh saint Jude championship first round of the playoffs He's in a playoff against Will Zalatoris. We're like in the third or fourth playoff hole. They get to the Island Green par three. Zalatoris hits his ball into the hazard. It is sitting on a brick underneath a lip. It is a sure four, possibly a five. Sepstraka has 60 feet left of that hole location to hit it. Anywhere 60 feet left, he's going to put a putter in his hand. And Sepstraka rinses it right into the water. Maybe the worst swing I've seen all year on the PGA Tour in 22. And now this year, when you are leading the field in strokes game putting on the final day by 4.63 shots, think about that. This guy was almost five shots better than anybody else Sunday with a putter. What do you do with a chance to shoot 58 or 59 on the last hole? (laughs) You snap hook it. The only place you can't put it, water left. Like anything 20 feet right of the hole, the way he's putting, he's got a chance at a 58. You tap in for 59, you call it a day. I don't get it or you know or give yourself a chance at a round in the 50s horrible swing two of the worst shots I've ever seen by a professional golfer which really stains the 62 for me
1: yeah it's certainly a wild performance and from an odds perspective as we always do during our Wednesday editions of GTC Sepstraka's Straka's odds to win before the final round were 66 to 1 66 to 1 before Sunday's final round he went on to win Bob what did you make of <laughs> Sepstraka's performance
2: yeah, I think it uh, it was a clear takeover of the uh, the headworms going into the last hole. He knew exactly where he was, exactly what he had to do. And uh, listen, for for all of us who've uh, come close to shooting one of our record scores, we know what it's like too, and we can hit it out of bounds or you hit it somewhere out out where it's, uh, it's tough to get to the number you want. But I mean, listen, overall, it's a win. It's a big win for Sepp He's uh He's a guy who I expected a little bit more of. He's got two PGA Tour wins. He's had a decent career, and... Good player, uh, Georgia Bulldog, and uh, I think I think we're going to hear more from him. Um, I, I just don't know if you how many chances you get to shoot fifty nine on a PGA tour. So I'm sure he's uh, he's kicking himself for missing that.
1: And as we talked about last week, we were expecting low scores. We had low scores at the John Deere. Uh, classic not the greatest week for team canada overall adam svensson the low canuck but we move onwards with a full preview of the genesis scottish open another star studded event we have a great little stretch of golf coming up here with the genesis scottish open which mark you'll be there and then of course the open championship which will have uh, full preview shows all coming up uh, next week one final note on Seb straka and both of his pga tour wins he shot over par in round one did the same when he won last year's Honda Classic. On the other side, going to switch gears a little bit where Guinness World Record holders, they're going to join us. Yes, they're going to join us right here on Golf Talk Canada.
0: That, that story, that's coming up next. This segment of GTC presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by Caddy Time, the Uber-like app that allows golfers across Canada to add affordable, qualified caddies to any round This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by WeatherTech Canada, Canada's leader in automotive accessories. Visit WeatherTech.ca. Well, normally when we have guests on GTC,
1: they've just won a golf tournament. Perhaps they're promoting a new product. Every once in a while, we have superstars like Niall Horan join us on the show. You can actually watch Bob and Niall Horan, their interview on GTC TV this week. But right now, we're about to do a first in GTC history. Guinness World Record Holders. I don't think we've ever had one, Mark, in, in, the, in the history of GTC. Can you recall? Or, Mark, do you have any Guinness World Records that you just haven't told us?
3: <laughs> no? Okay. no, I have none, and I don't recall. I do not recall any. So this is, okay. I believe, a first. So here we okay. go. This, so this is a first.
1: So, Bob, you, uh, give us the backstory here here uh, about why we're having these two record holders on our show.
2: Well, we know uh, that on June 21st in a lot of golf clubs around the country, they have a fundraiser for the longest day. It's the longest day of daylight, obviously, and golfers go out there and try to play as many holes as they can. Two golfers out in Cape Breton at the Lakes Golf Course, which is a beautiful facility, uh, decided they were going to take it a little a step further and they're going to do a 12-hour test just to see how many holes of golf they could play. Now, without giving everything away, because they'll talk about it in the interview, um, obviously, we know that they, they set the record. They've actually... They haven't actually got their official designation yet of the world record from Guinness yet. They've applied. It looks like it's going to happen. But there's a real process, which they'll explain in the interview. But it is is quite an achievement for these two guys.
1: It certainly is quite an achievement. Quite a cool story. Here is Bob's interview with the two Guinness World Record holders.
2: All right, let's go out to Cape Breton, and uh, Thomas and Wes, uh, have you guys recovered yet? I know it's been a few weeks since you did this miraculous feat, 306 holes in 12 hours, and we'll get into the world record part of it in just a minute, but first off, uh, tell me how you came up with the idea to try and uh, set this mark.
5: Yeah, so um, from my time back at Oakdale in Ontario, uh, we always used to play uh, from kind of dawn to dusk uh, for Heart and Stroke Foundation. So I know as a foursome and a fivesome, uh, we've gotten in 181 holes in previous years. Uh, I moved my family out to Cape Breton uh, two years back. So the community out here is just so forthcoming and giving back to the whole community as in in general. And I thought it was just my turn to kind of give back. So I had an idea of kind of, let's try to uh, see what we could do and give bunny to the hospital foundation where Thomas' uh, works there. And uh, yeah, that's where we kind of came up with the idea. Okay. So, so you, you, you get this
2: idea and then you have to work out the logistics, obviously. So you are both in carts. Is that what I understand? You each had your own cart.
6: Yeah, that's correct. So okay, uh, Wes start- had his father on his bag and I had my brother on the bag with me.
2: Okay. And you started at dawn essentially, or maybe a little earlier than dawn.
6: A little earlier. We were at uh, 457. We teed off.
2: 457. Okay. And so, so how quickly were you able to play? I mean, I can do the math, I suppose, but how quickly did it was just the two of you, right? How quickly did you guys get around?
6: Um, for the most part yeah we were we started off pretty slow because our scores weren't that good, so we were struggling trying to get warmed up and everything and then, when we finally got into a groove, we really got the pace picked up um I think at one point, I was just checking my phone to see where we were at. We might have finished nine holes in about twenty twenty one minutes oh
2: my goodness and, <laughs> and uh when you say you were just getting warmed up, like how was the
5: quality of golf along the first part of this anyway?
6: It was bad to start Uh, real bad.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, we know we, we, we had an idea of what we wanted to do. It's kind of just keep the ball in front of us. um, Not kind of hitting drivers off every tee Uh, that'll get you into some trouble, obviously. And if we were hitting into trouble with irons, at least the ball would still be in front of us and we'd be able to advance it from there. So I think it turned out to be just under two minutes and 30 seconds uh, per hole over the 306 holes. Um, So yeah, it was a, it was fast for sure. (laughs) Okay, so now when you're doing this, are there
2: other people playing? Like, are there? Do you have four caddies sort of clearing the way for you, or how how does that work?
5: Yeah, so we had a team of about fifty volunteers, uh, members of the lakes, members of the hospital foundation, members of the Sydney Curling Club that came out and helped supported us. So we had essentially two marshals out in front of us, one letting them know that we were just a couple holes behind, and then one immediately ahead of us letting know the groups, uh, letting the groups know that we're directly behind them and if they could just move off to the side. And then on top of that, um, we also had a team of divot fillers, um, ball mark repair team. Um, yeah, I mean, Rake the, yeah, yeah. And the whole cake caboodle, we had no time. So it was kind of hit the shot. And as the ball was in the air, we were both kind of back into the cart. And that's where the volunteers kind of came in just to make sure the integrity of the golf course was fine. Uh, after we were done playing those holes. Yeah. So, so you must have actually gone through the same group like several times each round, right?
6: It felt like deja vu over and over again.
5: <laughs> yeah, there was some groups we passed four, four or five times uh, in that in that round. Fair. <laughs> okay, so now you're getting into the middle of this part, and is and
2: the golf picks up. You're playing a little bit better. Did you actually have any like good rounds of the yeah. however many rounds you played?
6: So of the seventeen rounds we ended up doing, um, we kept the stats for it all. Um, oh. My first round was 80, 86 to start. Uh, my third round was seventy one. Wow. um and then last round i think i was 79 you might have been 75
5: yeah uh, and- we were both uh, we were both under 80 uh, over 17 rounds was our stroke average was both under 80 so yeah that had a little bit to do with it as well right so i guess i guess you got to know the golf course i mean i know you know that well because you, you're, you're,
2: yeah. you're there but by having played 17 rounds and you see the same green 17 times i'm sure you can figure it out probably right i mean is it did it get did it seem like groundhog day it
6: it really did. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what we talked about. Was we were passing through groups. Like, didn't we see you before? <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so this this was all obviously for a very good cause. And uh, tell us about the, uh, the 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 benefit of this and and uh, the beneficiary of this and how much you raised.
6: Yeah, so uh, we end up raising a little over $18,000, and that's all going towards the Cape Breton Regional Hospital Foundation. Um, so the Cape Breton Regional Hospital sees a little over 600,000 patient visits uh, every day uh, every year. So because of that, we know that there's a, a big support that needs to go into our community, and we felt that that was definitely uh, well worthwhile doing for that cause. Absolutely. Um,
2: and it sounds like you got a lot
5: of people involved. You said you had 50 people or something working on your team. Is that that correct? Yeah, we had over 50 volunteers, um, support staff from obviously the lakes, uh, my staff, the uh, golf operations team, uh, the maintenance team themselves. I mean, with us seeing off at 457 and them still having to get the golf course ready for the rest of the patrons for the day, uh, they were a part of it as well. Um, I mean, it it, it just didn't come down to the two of us by any means. Without the team we had uh, put in place and the plan and the process of the whole idea, um, it wouldn't have been able to be done. Yeah. Yeah. I guess guess you don't think about a lot of things that you have to do to get this.
2: You can't just sort of show up at 4.50 and jump in a cart and start playing, right? I mean, there's probably no pins in there. Someone's got to be cutting the greens and and doing all that stuff. So it takes – absolutely. Yeah. Okay, let's get to this – I was going to say, let's get to this world record part now. So uh, as I understand it, this breaks the existing world record, but uh,
5: you have to get some verification. I'm not quite sure. Walk me through what the world record situation of this is. Yeah, for sure. So Guinness World Records, they get over a 1,000 applications for multiple different, uh, uh, obviously, records uh, that can be either made up or um, trying to beat throughout the week alone. So they get a 1,000 applications a week. So we apply for the process, and then they just kind of send you the criteria, criteria that's needed. Uh, it was previously 290 holes done in 12 hours by a 2 in minute cart. Um, so we had to have a team of, obviously, witnesses, timers, stewards out there. Um, so after we completed it, we had to gather um, obviously some evidence, um, video evidence, picture evidence, and then have some forms and documents signed by the stewards, the timers, and witnesses, and uh, now have them sent off to Guinness. and The process takes about twelve weeks to to finalize. Yep. So you're, so you're sitting there waiting right now for that for that final verdict. Is that it?
6: For the official. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. Now just going back to this this on the course thing, I, I mean you're out there for 12 hours, obviously like nature calls, you have to take pit stops. You might, you get hungry. How many, how many moments during the 12 hours were you, let's say, not playing golf specifically? Um, so for the
6: eating and drinking like of course that's all while we're in the cart moving on to our next shots but um we kind of got into like a yin and yang where I'd get maybe like a quarter of a hole ahead of Wes or he'd get a quarter of a hole ahead of me maybe one shot Um so as you finish up that hole move on to the next one that's your chance okay. so you can hit your next two shot hop in do what you need to and yeah and then move on
2: and at the end of the day, when the twelve hours was over, which is right around five PM, I guess that's quite a, quite coincidental, right? Five PM, the bars open up or something. I don't know. Is uh, was there a little
5: celebration of any kind? Yeah, Oh absolutely. Yeah, we had uh, the whole team of volunteers when we wrapped it up on the 18th hole, which were or it turned out to the three our third 106 hole turned out to be our actual 18th hole, which is a great oh, wow. stadium hole finish at the lake. Yeah. Um. and we had a team of uh, 50 volunteers and now there are 20 or 30 members out there just greeting us with a standing ovation so it was humbling uh, very grateful for the support that we had but uh, we definitely had a little Bretton and afterwards to uh, yeah. to celebrate a long day for sure well, uh, <laughs> I needed
6: that <laughs> and did
5: did you have a tea time for the next day? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. absolutely not uh yeah i know there was a point in the day where i just didn't even i didn't know if my hands were going to make it a, i mean i think i was around thirteen fifty-five, thirteen fifty-six 55 uh in that window over the 17 rounds so that was a lot of a lot, a of, lo- swings. A lot of swings on the hands so the calluses and the, and the blisters are just just going away now yeah uh, well, guys,
2: congratulations! This is a wonderful achievement, and uh, and I'm I'm sure you guys will get that when you get that world record and put it up on the wall at the lakes, or maybe it, uh, you'll have a copy each at your home or something like that. It'll all come through and be worth it. And of course, for the hospital, I'm sure they're uh, they're really happy you did it too. Congratulations!
1: That's Thanks, lot awesome. Thanks
6: a lot, Bob. All I have to
1: say to that is, wow, 306 holes in 12 hours like that is insanity bob i mean when you were talking to these guys you could tell how excited they were uh but as as they spoke about like it would take your hands weeks to recover from that
2: two and a half minutes a hole they were playing so they would go through the same group like two or three times during around during their round (laughs) and uh it's 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 pretty amazing, actually, to think. They said that they were just never stopped. It was full speed. They would just hit it, jump in the cart, and go the whole way around. And they were shooting good numbers. I think they said they averaged about in somewhere in the low 70s or mid 70s for all 17 rounds. So that's pretty good. That's crazy. Now, I, I know uh, six or seven weeks ago in
1: uh, one of our editions of Winners, Weird and What, I brought up a story where Joel Damon's caddy, Gino Benelli, was looking to set the record for most holes played in one week with 2000 so this is a similar pace to that which i mean uh, that's that's remarkable but i mean most importantly these guys are doing it for a great cause too so um good for these guys and uh we'll we'll find some time to also play that interview on uh, on golf talk and the television at some point here too mark how many holes have you played in one day
3: the most i ever played in one day is three rounds Uh... One time, this is years ago, Bob will remember this, the PGA Championship was at Baltastral. Uh, It was the year Jimmy Walker won, Bob. You and I were shooting Golf Talk Canada TV on location on the Tuesday. I had absolutely nothing to do Wednesday. Yeah, I had nothing to do Wednesday. Heather was flying into town on Thursday, so I had Wednesday off. So I drove up Tuesday night to Westchester, New York, spent the night, woke up the next day, played 36 holes at Wingfoot, East and West, looked at the clock, it was one thirty in the afternoon, had no idea what to do with myself, called uh, Ferry Point, Trump Ferry Point, said, uh, hey, any way I could play? Drove down there, played another 18. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Perfect. I,
1: <laughs> I think when I was younger... This is like I was still playing hockey. So this is years ago. I I played forty five holes, but I I was walking, so I I think that's my where I tip the scales. I was walking and carrying. That that's uh, that's my claim to fame with that. But Bob, for you, how many holes have you played in one day, at the most?
2: I can't think of playing anything more than thirty six at one point uh, during my career. So that's been that's been the max for me. I think I've, I've never chal. I've been invited a few times to go on to those uh, Heart and Stroke Days. You know, the longest day of golf, but I've never uh, I've never actually been able to take anyone up on it. So it's, it's a goal for the future. See if I can get to thirty seven, or 38, okay. 39, but now not like three hundred six.
1: Maybe at some point we'll <laughs> uh, we'll jump in a couple of buggies and see how many holes we can play uh, in one. Day. Well, if you play so many holes at golf, you need the pace of play to be really good. And last Wednesday, Mark opened our eyes to this revolutionary idea about slow play in the world Just of golf. On the other side, we're going to take a look back at that and some social media reaction that we got from Mark's idea. This is Golf Talk Canada.
0: This segment of GTC, presented by TaylorMade, was brought to you by WeatherTech Canada, Canada's leader in automotive accessories. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Play Golf Myrtle Beach. Home to 80 great courses, 60 miles of sandy shores, endless dining and entertainment. Visit PlaygolfMyrtleBeach.com to start planning your golf trip today.
1: Wrapping up hour one here on GTC. Coming up. Next, to kick off hour two, our golf reporter, Kristen Murphy, going to join the show to help recap the U.S. Women's Open from Pebble Beach. She was writing the highlight packs that aired on SportsCenter throughout the week and the weekend. But before we get to that, I want to take a look back. And Mark, on Wednesday's show, you teased us with a slow play thought. You gave us your slow play thought, and it was a pretty cool thought for those who didn't hear what your idea is to give uh to fix maybe not fix slow play but encourage players to play faster what was that
3: well and listen i'm assuming we all want them to do something uh maybe some people just don't care but if you think slow play on the pga tour is a problem in the world of professional golf uh, i think we all agreed on range finders and smaller fields And I'm not trying to throw more money at millionaires, but it seems that most of these guys don't do anything unless they're financially incented, uh, uh, having a financial incentive to do so. So I said, if we refuse to penalize slow play, which is the obvious answer to everything, then why not reward fast play? Let's create a bonus pool of money and hand out money to the fastest players on the PGA Tour And maybe we can create change and promote the behavior we want that way. Oh, Adam, I think we got a real, like most people agreed, said, listen, we got to do something and never heard this idea before. Let's try it.
1: You're right about that. So we put a little poll out on Golf Talk Canada's Twitter account, 76.9% like it, 23.1% Say not for me. I'm really curious the not for me's who voted. Why? Because don't we want the the most of the not
3: for me's? Yeah, no. The most of the not for me's are just well. Let's why? Why can't we just penalize uh, slow play? Why don't we just uh, actually use the rules we have? They're 100 percent right. They're not wrong. But we have proven now over 40 years or so that they are going to refuse to do that. So it's no longer an option. So just doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the results to change is insanity. So those 23% are crazy. That's fine. They're allowed to be crazy. Crazy is good. Who wants normal? Normal's boring. So uh, I'm looking for something that maybe they're willing to do.
1: So it's quite an idea, I, I must say. But, Bob, we did see on the Live Tour that Richard Bland was penalized for taking – Oh, just 84 seconds to hit a tee shot. So, I mean, they are, they have implemented the rule, which is, I think, a good sign of things to come, potentially.
2: Yeah, they have, but a lot of others haven't. PGA Tour, USGA. Listen, uh, we all love Brooke, but she's not the fastest player in golf, that's for sure. There could have been a couple of penalties called on her if they were enforcing some of those things, but... um, yeah, it's, it, I'm with Mark. I mean, anything we can do, and, and obviously the stuff we have in place right now doesn't seem to be getting done or being used, so let's try and find something that does get the word around where we're going to speed up some play, and uh, it's, it's not a problem just on the PGA Tour as well. You know, you go to your courses and round around different places, and it can be agonizing to play, and uh, it's part of, the, part of the reason why some people give up the game. They just don't have five and a half hours to play in 18 holes.
1: Well, And if if you're your average Joe, your weekend warrior, and you watch professional golf on television and you see someone do aim point from a foot and a half, you're thinking, hmm, I want to be just like that person. Maybe I'll go do that when I tee off at 842 on Saturday morning and I'm going to take five and a half hours to play golf. That's an issue with the game of golf. We've we've had this huge uh, COVID boom in terms of growth within the sport at, at an amateur level. But pace of play, that's that's a detriment to the game of golf. So hopefully this is something that we can look ahead here. Hopefully it does continue to improve. And penalizing players for slow play would be one of them. And this financial incentive, brilliant idea, Mark. I have to tell you, brilliant idea. That's another way for it uh, to go forward here uh 20 weeks of tailor-made continues throughout the summer here on gtc we're giving away a pair of wedges this week uh your choice high toe mg3 mg3 uh, we keep uh stay tuned to our social media channels to see the winners of the wedge for this week that wraps up hour one here on gtc coming up an hour two golf reporter Kristen murphy on the u.s women's open joseph McLuckley from JPSM Golf as well. Winners, weird, and what? All that and more coming up in Hour 2. This
0: is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by Play Golf Myrtle Beach, the golf capital of the world. Thank you for listening to Hour 1 of GTC. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Golf Talk Canada. For show archives, podcasts, and all things GTC, visit GolfTalkCanada.com. And don't miss Golf Talk Canada Television, weekly on the TSN Television Network. This is Hour 2 of Golf Talk Canada, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. For over 15 years, our focus has been on helping Canadians stay invested in all market conditions, including this one. Why Picton Mahoney? Visit PictonMahoney.com. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Zucchino, Bob Weeks, and Adam Scully. Welcome back inside Golf Talk Canada,
1: Hour 2, the back nine here on GTC. Adam Scully, Bob Weeks, Mark Sacchino all around. Recapping the weekend that was in the world of golf coming up in Hour 2. Joseph McLucky from JPSM Golf going to join us. Winners, weird and what. And we'll have some leaderboard updates from around the world of golf, including, of course, the U.S. Women's Open, which was at Pebble Beach. What a week it was. Awesome to see. And someone who saw pretty much every shot shown on television throughout the four days of action was our golf reporter Kristen Murphy, who was writing the highlights for SportsCenter, and she now joins us on the line. Murph, how are you this morning?
4: I'm fantastic. How are you guys?
1: We are just (laughs) lovely after seeing all the sights of, pebble beach before we get into allison carpoos just for you watching the coverage and all of the different angles and drone shots of pebble beach how mesmerizing was the entire experience just seeing pebble beach in all of its glory
4: well you said it right there mesmerizing is the word i mean i don't think you can ever see too many of those panning drone shots and there were so many unique different angles that I think I'd never seen before and obviously because we were showcasing the women this week I think it just made everything that much more special um, but I will say I also quite enjoyed how many times they flashed back to uh Jordan Speed's cliffhanger at the eighth hole they really like to work that in and I, I don't know about you guys but every time I watch that I still can't believe he hit that shot. <laughs>
2: And stayed and stayed upright for it to uh, to keep going and on it, I know they 've changed that a little bit now they 've grown the rough back another couple of feet, apparently, so you don 't really get down to that you 're not supposed to anyway go down that close right um, I think
4: that's probably for the best <laughs>
2: yes exactly uh let 's talk about the winner and and what your impressions were of her i mean i thought and, and Adam used the word uh, composure at, at, earlier in our program. To talk about how she carried that through it's just so unusual for a player of that ilk uh, with very limited experience professionally and in major championships to come through and look so not only win but look so comfortable doing it and and uh, i don 't know what your thoughts were. I was just kind of blown away by it
4: It was so so impressive. not only does she get the job done, but she picks up her first win, her first win in a major, arguably the biggest of the majors. Um, certainly for an American to win the U.S. Open, I think, uh, would fit that bill. And and as you said, composure, I think that's the perfect word for it. She was stoic. She never changed her walking pace, her facial expressions, remained the same throughout the day. She really seemed like she was in the moment. And just looking at her start, she cards three birdies in her first seven holes. Certainly that set the tone. And I think if you're going to calm nerves, that's exactly how you're going to do it. You're going to, you know, notch a couple birdies early and I think that also sends a message to the chasers. Um, And then the big moment for me was uh the par save at 12. At the time, she just had a one-shot lead. She rolls in a 16-footer to avoid, you know, joining the pack below. And then, you know, had she missed that putt, the pressure ramps up. Maybe the moment becomes too big. It's really hard to say, but I think that really settled things down. And then it, it really just seemed like she was on cruise control from there. The only other person that really seemed to make a go at it was Charlie Hall, but she was just a little bit too far back.
3: Murph, I just want to touch on something that uh, Bob and Adam were chatting about off the top and, and a lot of the numbers support it. And I think it's great. I've had the pleasure of playing Pebble a few times. I it's to me, it's like the hardest 6,600 yards. We play from like 66, 67. It feels like 7,500 yards. And it's just the ball goes nowhere. It's such a difficult golf course and I don't think when we see it in February at the AT and T Pebble Beach Pro Am that it, it's shown in the best light. Yes, it's beautiful, but it's you know it's soft conditions. The fairways are really wide, and the guys are hitting it like 300 yards plus. And I thought it was brilliant to see the best ladies in the world go around it and kind of bring the proper clubs back into. Play. Bob's point, what he said off the top, you know the Cliffs of Doom were. The hardest holes all week, One 8 and 9, 10 was, was up there, but not quite. But the first and second hole were 8 and 9. But to see the par 5 18th not be a complete laydown and play above par at 5.2, I mean, Pebble to me was a real star of the show this week.
4: It really was. And I enjoyed just, it was more about position play and sort of planning planning your spots, where to miss it, where you can't miss it, which holes you can take advantage of. Obviously, the back nine playing significantly more difficult than the front nine. But, yeah, you mentioned it. Obviously, on the men's side, it's really become a lot about the distance off the tee, and and guys can seem to get around from there because they're just so long on their drives. But watching the women, it just really seems like a more thoughtful, strategic um, approach to Pebble Beach, and I think that was really interesting to watch
1: for the viewer It certainly was interesting to watch for the viewer we're recapping the u.s women's open with our golf reporter Kristen murphy and you mentioned it there murph charlie hall who of any of the chasers on sunday she put the pedal down put the pedal down in a big way what did you make of her chase for the win because it's not like she was trying to play for third or for second she was trying to win the whole thing
4: she absolutely was, and you saw that with her uh, with her second shot on 18 from right pretty much beside the tree. It was a really cool shot, and um, she she just went for it. She knew. At the time, I think she thought she was only three shots back. She was actually four shots back, but either way, you're going to go for it in that situation. I mean, when you have the leader who has no winning experience, why wouldn't you go for it with a U.S. Open on the line? I was so impressed, and I really thought at times that maybe she was going to post a number, and then, of course, anything can happen down the stretch in a major. But I was very, very impressed by her play.
2: Murph, what, do you, what did you make of uh, Brooke Henderson's performance? I mean, she, here she is uh, with a 12th place finish, which is a great finish. Uh, it's not a top 10. She's still looking for that second top 10 on the season. And yet we sort of, I think, maybe are a little disappointed in the fact that she wasn't there challenging, that she wasn't in there. I know the expectations that a nation puts on her are pretty tough. But what did you make of her performance overall?
4: Well, that's exactly it. It's so hard to gauge with Brooke because I think we always expect her to not just not just make a cut at a major. She's been so consistent, and so the expectations are there. But then we also expect her to contend for the win, and I think that was sort of lost earlier in this tournament, certainly than we would have expected. So. I disappointing seems like too strong of a word to say after her performance. I think there are, there's a lot of positives that she had this week, and you know she hit some great shots. Again, she finishes 12th, which is amazing at a U.S. Open. That's nothing to shake a fist at. So I, I think for her, it's just working out a couple of kinks, and um, I think she'll be right there contending in the next major.
3: Murph, that's a good segue because earlier in the show, we were talking a little bit about, you know, Annika Sorenstam and Michelle Wee, you know, huge names in the game of golf and in the women's game legends uh, and legends really for different reasons in a way. And we talked a little bit about expectation. I And I just suggested that I almost feel bad for Michelle Wee. You know, she's a women's open champion. I get it. Five-time winner. But when you look at what she could have been, her level of talent and the position she was put in in a young age, I just feel like she was set up to fail, that it was just not that she didn't get the guidance and just the plan put in place that like a Tiger had, or an Annika for that matter. And I just wanted to get your opinion on that. You know, when we look back at Michelle Wee, do you look back at Michelle Wee and is it a cup half full look of Michelle Wee or is it a what could have been? Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think it's definitely more of a what could have been, I think, based on her talent at such a young, young age. I think most people around the golf world expected her to have a really long career with a lot more wins. And um, and that's that's not taking anything away for her reasons for retiring. Obviously, she cited, you know, she wants to just dedicate more to family life, to business, and it's just really hard to have an active LPGA career lifestyle going on at the exact same time so totally respect the decision there but I think you know you mentioned sort of the mishandling of her career and it seemed to be a lot about being able to hang with the guys and and that probably shouldn't have been so focused on I think and it's it's hard to say how many wins she could have racked up had her path gone differently from from a young age and you know who was part of the decision making process for her when she was a kid kind of coming up the ranks.
1: Before we let you go, Murph, uh, you know, Annika Sarnstein and Michelle Wee West, both sort of icons of the game for a different reason. And someone who's coming up now in the game and is certainly trending towards that direction is Rosang, who was the pre-tournament betting favorite in her third professional start which is mind-boggling just to say out loud she finishes t9 from what you saw from zhang what's your level of optimism as we move forward here in the lpga season
4: nothing but optimism i mean this is really just the first major for her on such a big stage she's already picked up a win you know in her first three starts so there's certainly no cause for concern when it comes to Rose. And she still just seemed like really calm, cool, collected out there. And I think it's all about just gaining more experience now at this next level. She's accomplished everything there is to accomplish leading up to this point. So, um, yeah, my expectations for her remain high, and um, I, I don't see her not living up to those expectations.
1: You and I both shall be fun to watch and looking forward Mm -hmm. to the next LPGA major and a very busy summer ahead. Murph, thanks for your time this morning. I know you're also very busy on the GTC production side of things today. I know you're cooking up some shots of the week, which I can't wait to always see. That'll be highlighted in our TV special tomorrow night in primetime on TSN. Murph, thanks for your time.
4: All right, guys. Take care.
1: Okay, that is Kristen Murphy, our golf reporter and Marky mentioned it you got you got to play Pebble Beach a couple times in your life and I got to play it in September and it was funny being on the eighth hole where when you look down where Jordan Spieth hit that shot if he slips at all he's he's dead like he's he's not surviving like that is such a a fall down that slope I, I still can't believe he actually tried to hit that shot And another fond memory from Pebble Beach, I mean, obviously we, as golf fans or fans of of the game, we see courses on TV and maybe you can't tell, you know, people always talk about Augusta National, how it's totally different in person versus on TV. For me, one of the biggest differences I didn't, I didn't really know was the first hole at Pebble Beach, how much of a dog leg it is from the back tees. And I, I had played... You know, I'd watch so many videos before heading over to Pebble Beach thinking, how am I going to play this hole? I'm going to knife a little four iron out there, a little stinger, hit a wedge. And when I'm standing on the first tee and I'm seeing houses directly right of me and there's a bit of a crowd, I'm thinking, if I knife this thing off the hosel, I'm never going to hear the end of it. So take the biggest club in the bag, hit the D stick, and hopefully not hosel it. I didn't hosel the driver. I want you guys to know that. I actually just, I drove it to about 60 yards and just missed the birdie putt. The rest of the round was a bit of an adventure. You guys know my golf game, right? It's not exactly straight every hole. I like to see other groups, see how things are going. But, Bob, for you, when you've, when you've been to Pebble Beach, I, you haven't played Pebble Beach, correct? But you've covered many opens there?
2: That's right. I haven't been there. I've covered uh, three opens, I think, and uh, and a couple of Pebble Beach Pro-Ams. And it's, um, it's just one of those places where you start to walk around and you look at it and you just... It takes your breath away, even if you're not playing. I mean, you've seen all the holes on television for many years. And to follow and watch some of the great players, I mean, Gary Woodland, Gary, Graham McDowell, and Tiger Woods were the three that I saw winning there. And it's just, just one of those places where you uh, you'll never get tired of walking it. And luckily enough for you guys, playing it
1: and mark i remember when i was walking i was texting sort of throughout the front nine i remember i think i sent you a selfie standing on on the T and you said get ready for the greatest walk in golf and quite simply it is yeah, do, I mean, do you have any any particular memories uh from your times playing pebble
3: oh my i mean there's just so many over the years and working there i've played it three times but worked it a bunch of times and i mean it's a bob's point it's it never stops becoming overwhelming. Like every time you go there, you very much get that feeling like you're there for the first time. And I, to me, that's the biggest compliment that you can give it because, you know, most places, once you've been a few times, you, you tend to take things for granted, right? I feel like that a little bit about Augusta, to be honest with you. I, you know, Augusta's beautiful and whatnot now, but when I walk into Augusta and do walk around, it's, you know, it's, I, I, I've seen it a million times. A pebble for some reason, when you're standing there up at that 6th green, 7th tee, 8th hole, like that little peninsula there is heaven on earth. And it's the it's like you're there for the first time every time you stand there. It's, it is un, unbelievable. And if you're lucky enough to get it on a sunny day, it is just uh, tremendous. Because I have seen it in uh, winter conditions and I've seen it in uh, lovely summer conditions. And uh, it's special
1: yeah especially you know you think of the the par three seventh hole you know playing anywhere from 80 to maybe 95 yards and our caddies were saying when it's when it was into the wind they've seen guys hit full-on five irons hit full-on four irons and when it's downwind you seems like could just lob the thing onto the green with an underhand toss so it's a, it's heaven on earth it's a great spot and i uh, can't wait to see pebble beach back in action again for the men's u.s open the women's u.s open and the at&t pebble beach pro-am on an annual basis on the other side going to switch gears a little bit again going to hear all about uh new products from jpsm golf this is golf talk canada
0: This segment of GTC was presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. For over 15 years, our focus has been on helping Canadians stay invested in all market conditions, including this one. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Cobble Beach, Georgian Bay's extraordinary waterfront golf resort community. Learn more about their award-winning golf course and growing community. Visit cobblebeach.com today. Welcome back inside Golf Talk Canada.
1: Well, JPSM Golf is a partner of ours, and they have some great products that can help with your uh, body in terms of where you put your golf cart, sort of follows you around. And Mark, you were recently at their showroom and got to see some of their latest product, correct?
3: Yeah, this uh flat caddy is the one that caught my eye. Don't get me wrong. They still have like Stewart Golf and represent multiple brands. And if you love, you know, all the bells and whistles and, and things, uh, especially if you have room like kind of, Store it at your own club, then definitely the Stewart golf is an exceptional product, but I love this flat caddy because you don 't have to touch it, it senses you walking, so it gets your mind off of it so it's so like I hate having to deal with stuff. I just want to play golf i don 't have to worry about you know remote control and reverse and all this, so this is great. it just senses you and walks with you, and it 's so compatible. I love how like i mean this thing can fold up so flat. I mean, he mentioned, Joseph mentioned, like, if you have a two-seater convertible, this thing can still fit in your car with a golf bag and whatnot. It can slide under your bed at home. I mean, stuff like that is cool. It's lightweight. It's very sleek German engineering. So there you go. So that's the one that caught my eye. And we spoke a bit about that in this interview.
1: Okay, let's hear from Mark with Joseph McLucky from JPSM Golf.
3: Joseph, always a pleasure to come out to the showroom. I'm always amazed at all the new product and the people in and out. It's a, it's a fairly active place here at JPSM Golf. Uh, let's start with a very cool product by Stewart Golf, the Vertex. It's, you were explaining to me off camera. It's almost got artificial intelligence. Let's start there. This actual electric trolley knows when it's going uphill and downhill. It's pretty amazing.
7: Absolutely, it's so the evolution. Stewart's known around the world for engineering and, and for creating products and meet the needs of the golfer. So a typical trolley, when it's going up a hill, you'd on the remote, you'd have to press the button to speed it up. This trolley knows it's going up the hill based on the resistance and the motors, it speeds itself up. Conversely, going down a hill, you'd have to hold it back or hit reverse to slow it down. This unit knows it's going downhill, so it breaks itself. So it's sensing a thousand times per second what the unit's doing on side hills it knows that the lower motor is requiring more power so it speeds it up and it slows the left one down so it is artificial or we say it's it's altering control and it controls itself
3: so from a user standpoint i always like to bring it back to the golfer in a sense that you're you're really not touching this trolley as often as maybe you would some of the other product in the marketplace i mean set it up get it set the way you want, go play golf kind of thing, almost like having a, a, a real-life caddy with
7: you. Well, it, it's, it's, we have the follow unit, so it's behind you, it's great, um, but it's constantly adjusting itself behind you, following a handset. The cool thing about this product is it's ahead of you and it's sensing its own terrain. So instead of you being what I call combat golf, left, right, left, right, right speed up, slow down, it does itself so again it's it's your engagement with the trolley is less and less it goes in a straight line I, i'm using it now and sometimes i'll i'll almost stand and watch it to see what it does or i'll stand and stop and i'll wait for it to stop because it knows that i've stopped and i'm now out of range and so then i'll walk up hit the button they'll start again so it's, it's it's all about enhancing the golf experience which is something we try and explain to customers who call and we go through a process of, you wanna focus your, your, your mental and your physical energy on the game, not on manipulating a golf truck.
3: That's a great way of putting it. That's always what I'm always kind of struggling with when I'm trying to express this to people is that if you buy the right product and get into the right product, it will enhance the experience and you're not worried about your trolley. You're playing golf. It's assisting you. You get the wrong trolley, you go the wrong place, it, it can actually do the op- have the opposite effect. I've had those experiences renting in the wrong places right. over the years. Uh, what other bells and whistles? Stuart's usually pretty good with bells and whistles in terms of other options. Is there? Uh, GPS things of that nature on this on this particular model
7: no and and that's an interesting point so the latest crave this year is GPS units we, we did a survey of our customers and 65% of customers came back and said they don't want a GPS unit in their trolley they have a watch they they have a range finder that they, they've got something that's keeping them in, in touch with the game sometimes you can be on a par 3 and your trolleys twenty yards away from you. So as as I've said to the companies that I work with, I'm in the trolley business, I'm not in the GPS business. And I think we had experience with units with GPS. And you know, someone calls and says, Well, on my watch it says this, but my trolley says that. And well they're using different satellites. So I prefer to be in the trolley business, not the GPS business. But it, it is a it is something that's going on. Um, I said some the other day, it's no different than you can see car manufacturers are now going with you know, Apple CarPlay and they're using the GPS from your phone, not from the car. It's an evolution. We'll see where it all plays out.
3: All right. The model that caught my eye and the one that I'm going to get into uh, this summer, I always find myself running out of space, whether it's at home, whether it's in the car, I keep getting a larger vehicle. There's never enough space anymore. The flat cat looks unbelievably light, compact. Uh, The lines are clean and it just seems to be a really smart uh, electric trolley and something that would fit my lifestyle and my golf needs. Uh, Walk us through this product because it's really caught my attention.
7: One of the things we pride ourselves on is the relationships we have with our suppliers. So Flat Cat is owned by a family in, in Bavaria, which I was there last fall. Beautiful, beautiful country, lovely people. Um, a lot of experience in the trolley business working with another manufacturer and he decided that he could do better Very minimalist is what German product is Folds up so small you literally could slide it under your bed um, I'm using two units right now the vertex when I drive one car and i the, the flat cat when I drive another because I can get Two flat cats in the trunk of a convertible with the roof down um, Whisper silent running Bosch motors um, folds up real easy. Um, as I said to you in our discussion before we we went on camera, I've got people that will come up to me after two holes and go, I just realized you're not pushing that. That's an electric trolley. So it, it's the ultimate in German engineering. And, and not only that, but they've gone to, to, even since we started dealing with them, the new Ahead. It has a sensor in the handle, you press a button. As long as you're walking behind it, the trolley goes in front of you. The minute you step away, it stops. So hands-free. And then a non-directional remote, so that if you're at the back of the green and you want to bring the cart up, you just grab the little remote, press and hold one button and it'll come up to you. Again, it's ticking all the boxes to, to get people back to what's better for your game. It's certainly not pushing a three-wheel cart up a hill. Um, conserve the energy We're we're finally going to get some good weather over the next few days and this is when people are going to go oh I don't want to push this cart so it's it's a great product um, available in a variety of really cool colors which is another thing my wife's using a pink one um, but, but it's, it's, it's an interesting product that I can't wait to see how the market responds.
3: Yeah, I love how clean and compact it is. It just seems easy and light and doesn't matter what you're driving, you can throw it in. Or even if you want to store it at your golf club, a lot of uh, clubs are going, oh, I don't want to necessarily take the space to store these things. This is a no brainer to store, so easy, okay. You've been teasing another product coming. You've been working on it for a year and a half. What can you tell us about it and do we know when it's going to be available yet?
7: So we we've worked with a number of brands throughout of our 17 years. So This is our 17th year We've learned a lot with working with all the different factories. So a year and a half ago We began the long process of designing our own trolley We've invested a lot of time and a lot of money and we're literally in final tooling stages so we're now at the point where tooling companies look at the tools and say okay that piece will come out we need to adjust the tool so we will launch the product this fall uh, as a soft launch and then it will be you know a firm launch for 24 it's going to be a very cool product that's got a lot of of time and effort put into it and it's it's going to be a remote product it's going to be a product that folds up small Um, some things that I never thought we'd be able to see in a cart that uh, it, it's gonna be fun, we, we, and we own the brand, which is even more exciting, so after 17 years to have ownership of something, and we look forward to you know, bringing it to the market.
3: Over almost two decades of being the leader in the marketplace and knowing this business inside out, I, I can't wait to see this product. Joseph, thanks for the support on Golf Talk Canada. Uh, always love coming to the showroom, and I'm looking forward to using the, uh, the flat cat uh, for the rain of the summer.
7: It's going to be an interesting summer and fall, and and again, we appreciate the support from GTC and and yourself, and and let's hope we get some good weather now to play some golf. Well, it
1: appears we're starting to get some good weather, too. Awesome stuff there, Mark, with Joseph McLucky. For more information on all their products, check out jpsmgolf.com. On the other side, it's our favorite time of the show. It's Winners Weird and What. That's coming up next.
0: This segment of GTC presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management was brought to you by Cobble Beach, Georgian Bay's extraordinary waterfront golf resort community. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Cadillac, Experience Cadillac, Join one of our agents for a personalized virtual live tour of Cadillac SUVs, sedans, and EVs. Book your tour at cadillac.ca slash live.
1: Welcome back inside Golf Talk Canada. Well, it's our favorite time of the show. Lots going on in the world of golf, both on the golf course, on social media, the works. It is Winners Weird and What, and this week, the tee is Mark's.
0: I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth.
3: All right, my winner, gents, is Rasmus Hogard. Why? Because a few weeks ago, we got to celebrate as Canadians when Nick Taylor won our national championship, one of the greatest moments in Canadian sports history. Well, Rasmus won on his homeland of Denmark. He started the day six shots back on the DP World Tour, a Sunday 64 Gets it done in a playoff. He uh, was very open about how special it was to win a European uh, tour event on his home soil. It's always a big deal when you can get it done in front of the home crowd. So Rasmus gets the nod for my winner. Okay, I have a question for both of you. Is this a hole-in-one? This is my weird this week. We're going to go to Essex Golf Club in the UK. There was an alternate shot match. Guy gets up on the tee on a par three. Rifles one out of bounds. His partner now has to hit three from the tee, par three. Jars it for par. So keep in mind, it's the first time he struck the shot. It's not his second swing, but it's his team's second swing with the penalty shot that now counts as a par. They end up having the hole with the three. Bob, if that's you, I know it goes down on the card as a three, but in your mind, is it an ace?
2: Well, as someone who has hit it in the water, re-teed, and put it in the cup, um, I actually ran that by, Graham Dillette once said to me, Bob, how many holes in one of you had? I said, four. Well, one was like a, one no, I hit the ball in the water, and then I re-teed it up, and Graham Dillette said, so you've had three. So there's the ruling right there, but this one is a little different because of the, I don't know, man, that's, uh, I think I would count it as a, whole, it,
7: I think I I it as a hole. think this gentleman never
3: hit water. the first one.
7: Right. Yeah, Adam. I'm counting this a whole in one.
3: your mind. I know it goes down as a three, but Bob's counting it.
1: My brain's in a pretzel right now. I think. <laughs> I mean, technically, yeah. Come on, like it's his first. I mean, sure for the match, it's a it's a good uh, tying or having of the hole. But I mean, it's his first. It's come
3: on. I say yes. Count it. I'm with you guys. I'm with both of you. I'm like, hey, I never hit the first one out of bounds. Yeah. Technically it's a three on the card for a match, but in my mind, Hey, it's my, it's a hole in one. Regardless, I made one swing. I jarred it hole in one. I thought I had to bring this up. Okay. My what this week, guys? I know you both love Greg Chalmers on, um, on social media. Greg Chalmers is a great follow. If you don't follow him, you got, you got to get on him. He, he shot 1,000 at uh, the John Deere this week, and his tweet was, well, at least I know what to work on when I leave the John Deere Classic. And he posted his stats for the week. Are you ready for this? 122 strokes gained off the tee, 109 strokes gained approach, 89 strokes gained around the green, 126 strokes gained putting, and 130th strokes gained tee to green. Negative in every column. He gives you the old wink. Basically, I have to work on everything. Okay, Bob, the tea is now yours.
2: So what do I do, just aim for the pond?
3: No,
6: you're not supposed to hit it into the water.
2: But you hit it into the water.
6: I know I hit it into the water.
2: Well, why do they even have water if you're not
3: supposed to hit it there?
6: Because it's fun! We're having fun!
4: <laughs> Look, it went further than your ball!
2: All right, guys. Well, my winner is actually I, I wrote down one name, but i was actually going to expand it into three names, and that is the uh, trio of amateur golfers that played in the U.S. Women's Open this week for Canada. And you get a lot of I'm sure, like I do, you guys probably get asked a lot. You know, uh, who's the next up and coming player in, in Canadian golf? And you know, in, in women's golf, we've really got Brooke Henderson, and you know, I don't nothing against Motami LeBlanc Blanc or uh, Maddie Zarek; they're both playing well. But they always want to know where the next where's the next wave? And I think the next wave was what we saw, the tip of the iceberg at the uh, U.S. Women's Open. Now, there were three of them, obviously, and uh, two didn't make the cut in terms of uh, uh, Lauren Kim and and Celeste Dow, but they were playing, they were in the, they qualified, both those ladies qualified. Monet Chun did make the cut, she ended up finishing tied for 59th. She made it into the field because she was a runner-up in the U.S. Women's Amateur last year. So three very talented young players who will be, I think, fairly soon making the transition over into the pro ranks. Uh, but we've got a good crop of young uh, women playing in Canadian golf right now, young amateur women who are going to get under the LPGA Tour and join the rest of those gals out there. I don't know, Adam, have you, have you ever had a chance to see any of them play? Uh, not up up close and
1: personal. I had a chance to interview Monet Chun before the Augusta National Women's Amateur and you can tell the future is bright In all of our interactions with Salima Musami and uh, all of the, the uh, Team Canada coaching staff, you know that uh, they're optimistic about the future. They've set lofty goals. Golf Canada has about the future and I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they <laughs> yes. hit those
2: goals. Yeah, well that's good. Uh, my weird this week is uh, another weird incident for Sergio Garcia. It seems like when he's Doing things right, you know, it's good, but then he always seems to lose his temper or blame someone else or come up with some sort of a weird reaction. Now, he was in the qualifying to get into the Open Championship. This is the first time he's had to try and go in. it. He was trying to keep his streak of 25 straight uh, Open Championships played. He got through 24 holes at the West Lancashire Golf Club near Royal Liverpool, where the Open is going to be. And he was actually in sort of in the position that he could or maybe would get close to making it in to the field. He had a tricky lie on the 25th hole, and uh, this was a long day, by the way, a 10-hour marathon, 36 holes, but he chipped it poorly and had a bogey, and it slowed, it slowed down, so he gets to the par 5 16th now, where it's a putting disaster, and of course, what does he do? Well, he's lining up a five-foot bogey putt, and he looks across, and he sees a photographer, backs off, resets, misses the five-footer, and then yells out that the <laughs> <laughs> at the cameraman and basically blaming him for it and from that point on things only went worse and of course Sergio Garcia did not qualify and of course it's now all the photographer's fault that's what he's saying anyway and uh Mark you know that's not just it's just it's Sergio being Sergio right
3: I mean it's so weird, Bob, when we, you and I talked about it a few months ago, in that very, very brief moment in time where he somehow figured out to be positive guy inside the ropes, he won his major. And it's really it was like a very short window in his career where he just tried to like park that part of him away from the game, and it serviced him so well. But he's just unable to sustain that type of attitude, and yeah. this doesn't shock me at all. Does it surprise you?
2: No, and and here's another guy. Here's another guy with a bad attitude. That's my. This is going to be for my what? Is, uh, and actually, this wasn't too bad. This wasn't too bad of an attitude situation. This was more of a shot. But uh, playing in the live event this week, uh, Patrick Reed hit his ball into some very long, deep, gnarly rough, and a fan. You know, like when, when you have long, deep, gnarly rough, and you're trying to hack it out, the chances of the club face shutting down and the ball going left are pretty good. Anyway, that's exactly what happened. But some spectator was standing almost like two feet to the left of where the target line would be, and Patrick Reed almost took his head off. You got to see the video of this thing. It's like it just grazes by the guy's head, and then Patrick is sort of like, "Oh my gosh!" And he says, for after after the ball's already gone by his head." Now I can't really blame Patrick for being a bad about this one at all because. Everything happened so quickly, and this guy was standing in the wrong spot. But it is worth it to see the, uh, to see the footage. All right, Adam, the T is yours. 348.
1: <laughs> oh, man, that is sweet. We'll definitely play out that video of Patrick Reed on Golf Talk Canada television this week because, yeah, his facial reaction is actually priceless, and I'm glad he didn't decapitate that fan (laughs) because he could have pretty easily, easily done that. Okay, my winner this week is Emiliana Migliaccio, and you might not be familiar with that name, but she was pulling double duty this week, not only playing in the U.S. Women's Open, but she was also a commentator throughout the week, too. So on Thursday morning, she was walking as an on-course reporter, and in the afternoon, she was playing, and vice versa for Friday. So good for her for trying this out. She said she had a golf cart while commentating, so she was hoping not to get too too many steps in and get too tired. She missed the cut by one. So pretty impressive week overall to pull double duty in this way. So good on her. Okay, my weird this week goes to some drama on one of the teams on live between Matthew Wolf and Brooks Kapka. And Brooks Kapka basically called out Matthew Wolf saying he doesn't work hard enough, calling him a quitter. All these things, maybe trying to motivate him in some way. We know, we know Brooks Kepka. He's pretty blunt. He he sort of says it as it is. There's no real filter with Brooks Kepka. and Matthew Wolf didn't really appreciate that, saying he was would have hoped to hear this directly from Kepka and not through the media. So some drama happening here. I'm not sure, Mark. Are you going to get your popcorn out and and sit back and and watch the the sequel on uh, on the CW at some point, or what do you think?
3: Well, you know, I I, I I'm not a fan of Brooks Kepka, as you guys know. I, I find him abrasive, rough around the edges, and in his shtick, I've never liked. And before everybody goes after me on social media because I'm an anti live guy, yada yada yada. I, I did not like Brooks Kepka way before Live existed. So this is his ammo. I have no idea what Matt Wolf's uh, workout regimen is or his practice regimen or how much time he puts in, so I can't commentate on that. What I can tell you is he has suffered from uh, mental health issues in the past. and uh, last year at the Wells Fargo in DC we were told that we weren't even sure if uh, Matt Wolf was even going to speak to to the media. Uh, this is over a year ago because he was dealing with some stuff that week. So it's a shame that Kepka would take a public forum like this to call out a guy who has a history of dealing with these things. And maybe that's something that should have been kept in the dressing room. But
1: Yeah, I agreed. And yeah, I'm not sure if Kepka was trying to, you know, do this as a motivational ploy or something. But anyway, we'll, we'll see how and if this does, uh, the story move, moves forward here uh, down the line. Okay, before we go to break, my what this week. You guys know sometimes I like to throw on a bold suit or two, maybe some Sunday red for SportsCenter. Last night we had some salmon going, a salmon-colored suit. Well, we've seen many players on the PGA Tour show up at Wimbledon wearing, we've seen a fedora, we've seen some aviators, we've seen Justin Thomas was wearing a suit. Bob, I'm not sure if you saw this, would you call that like an off-white or like a cream white three-piece suit? How would you describe what Justin Thomas was wearing at Wimbledon?
2: Uh, yeah, I would call it um, soft vanilla. That would be the soft color I would call vanilla. it. vanilla? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: wow. Okay, okay.
2: He looked, okay. He looked good, now,
1: though. He, he looked good. The, the fedora. Mark, I, I've seen photos and selfies of you when you travel abroad. You You often throw the fedora on, don't you?
3: I, I often's a stretch, but I have put it on certain locations. Yes, and uh, you listen—that's part about like bucket list stuff, like Wimbledon as well as Kentucky Derby. You gotta, you gotta. If you're gonna do it, don't go half, you know, in. Go all in, baby. I'm loving. I loved it. I love the hat, the the, the whole deal.
1: Okay, well, maybe if the three of us ever go to Wimbledon, we can go find some soft. Vanilla colored suits, maybe (laughs) match them all together and show up with a fedora and some aviators on and and see what kind of reaction that gets. We'll also play those images on Golf Talk Canada television, maybe do a Who Wore Better sort of thing with Tommy Fleawood, Ricky Fowler, Jordan Spieth, who did not iron the suit, did not, it was definitely wrinkly maybe a steam, something needed for Jordan Spieth there because it it wasn't wasn't the uh, best-looking suit in terms of how the material was kind of crinkly, too. But we'll, we'll show that all on television as well. Okay, coming up on the other side, we'll wrap up today's show. We'll have some leaderboard updates, and Mark will tee up his adventure to Scotland. That's all coming up
0: next. This segment of GTC, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management, was brought to you by Cadillac. Cadillac experience Cadillac. Join one of our agents for a personalized virtual live tour of Cadillac SUVs, sedans, and EVs. This is Golf Talk Canada presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Adidas Golf and the ZG23. ZG23 continues to push limits on lightweight performance footwear with introduction of LightStrike and LightStrike Pro Technology. They're light, they perform, they're here to compete. Visit Adidas.ca slash golf. You want to stay tuned to our social media channels
1: early tomorrow morning where we're launching a fun giveaway with Adidas Golf on a bag that you don't want to miss. Check out our social media channels early tomorrow morning time for some leaderboard updates brought to you by bushnell golf the number one rangefinder in the world of golf check out bushnellgolf.com allison corpus wins the u.s women's open Sepstraka wins the john deere classic rasmus hogard wins the made in denmark on the dp world tour speaking of overseas mark you are on an adventure yourself to work the genesis scottish open with pga tour radio tell us all about it
3: yeah, my plane's delayed already, gents. We'll see. <laughs> Let's hope we get there. Um uh gonna land uh tomorrow morning in Scotland and try to get just settled to the time zone and whatnot and head to the golf course Wednesday, the Renaissance Club. Not Renaissance, Renaissance Club. Um we'll see. Great tune up for the open championship. The field is outstanding at the Scottish Open. Uh, should be a great event, guys. And then uh, on the other side of the Scottish Open, I'm going to take a couple of days off for Mrs. Golf Talk Canada's birthday before we head home to Toronto. So stay tuned to my social media feeds if you want to see what I've done for Mrs. GTC for her birthday. Wow.
1: Wow. There's a lot to take in there. And yes, the Renaissance Club. Make sure you have the the right accent. I tell her, guys,
3: I I tell her on a daily basis how lucky she is to have me, okay? (laughs) So this is... uh...
1: Well, coming up on Wednesday's edition of GTC, we'll have a full preview of the Genesis Scottish Open uh, on radio. And of course, our television special first airing Tuesday night, tomorrow night, 10 p.m. on TSN. Bob, Mark, thanks for your time this morning. Mark, safe travels today, my friend. Bob, um, are you on the tee for your usual 4.30 tee time? Yes, you are? No, you're not. Okay. Not today. Not today. Today's
2: a day off. Today's a recovery day. Today's a scheduled recovery day for Bob.
1: Well, whatever you all do today, enjoy the day. It's a beautiful one in the GTA. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. And remember, the first good decision... Or always starts
0: in the closet. This segment of GTC, presented by picton Mahoney Asset Management, was brought to you by Adidas Golf and the ZG23. ZG23 continues to push limits on lightweight performance footwear with introduction of Lightstrike and Lightstrike Pro technology. They're light. They perform. They're here to compete. Visit adidas.ca/golf.